Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true and it works in our lives every time that we apply it. And I thank you for working behind the scenes on our behalf. Father, help us to give each individual uh, here what they need to hear specific for them so they can make course corrections and enjoy all the riches, honor, and life that you gave us uh, when Jesus went to the cross, when he went into hell, when he paid the price for us, when he completed the covenant. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Catalog of Truths, part eight, talking about enhancing your gift today. We started out, you know, we've been talking about... um, well, I'll just say 2 Peter 1 and verse 2 is our jumping off scripture. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. We're cataloging these truths to get to this peace. Remember, uh, the Greek word for peace is arene, which means that you're exempt from the rage and the havoc of war. And then we saw in Isaiah 26, 3, I love this verse, right? Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace or peace, peace. Shalom, shalom is the Hebrew word. Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in you. Uh, remember that the uh, slang for shalom, for peace in the Hebrew, is nothing missing, nothing broken in your life. Spiritual health, physical health, mental health, emotional health, social health, financial health, and safety. And then we talked about the three keys of getting this peace, peace, this shalom, shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing missing, nothing broken, was to have an identity, a purpose, and a vision. And we're talking about purpose, and we started to talk about a couple weeks ago discovering your purpose and your gifts, right? Because the gifts and calling equals your purpose. And then we talked about last week developing your gift, right? And then this week we're going to talk about enhancing your gift or going from, remember we talked about in the corporate language, going from incompetent to competent to excellence to zone of genius or operating in your supernatural, fulfilling your purpose at a level that's so much higher than anything else that's out there. And you are just uh, killing it. You're in the flow of things and you are producing uh, results and work and inspiration beyond what anybody else is doing. And that's where we want to go. To get there, you have to make the jump from excellence to genius, right? And it goes beyond, listen, when you first get your gifts, it's discovering your gifts and your purpose. Then you develop the gifts. In order to get to that zone of genius, to that supernatural area, in Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, it says, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. They're irrevocable. But the gifts come first. You discover your gifts first. That's the road sign to what your purpose is. As you develop your gifts, you get to a point where you've maxed out. You can't go any further until you accept the calling. And today I'm going to focus on accepting the calling in order to enhance your gifts. The first thing you have to do in order to get to your zone of genius, you must accept the call. You have to accept the call. So once you discover and you begin to develop your gifts, it is now time to choose. Remember, altogether, many or altogether were called, but only few choose. Puny, choose. It's time now, once you know, you discover what your purpose and your gifts are. Once you begin to develop those gifts and you move from incompetence to competence to excellence, now it's time to accept the calling of your purpose. This is required for you to operate in your zone of genius and your supernaturals. This means you have to have a total commitment. Hashtag all in. Right there, burn the boats. Right, I talk about this story in corporate where Hernan Cortez in the 1500s brought you know three ships of and 600 men over to from Spain to uh, get that Aztec gold. Right to get the uh, the Mayan gold, and there was 30,000 Aztec and Mayan warriors against his 600. And he was like, "Well, those people are fighting for their families and their homes, and we're fighting to get gold." 
this is not going to work. We have to have a commitment. They're just going to, can't be involved in getting the gold. You have to be committed. So what he did is he had a party on the beach and while everyone was having this clam bake, he went and burned the boats. So there's no way home. He burned the ships. So now there's a hundred percent commitment. There's no plan B. Remember we talked about that last week. There's no settling for less. You can't settle for less. You have to a hundred percent all in burn the boats. Um, Listen, the difference between involved and committed, right? At this point, until you accept the call, you're just involved in your purpose. You're involved in developing your gifts. You're involved in operating in that zone, maybe even of excellence. You'll never get the genius until you commit. When I'm looking at my breakfast plate, right, of eggs and bacon, the pig is committed. The chicken is involved. The chicken's just laying eggs and he's in and out, right? She's in and out. The pig, 100% all in. There is, a, it's, it's the one shot. You have one life to live, right? And this is what, this is what it takes. This, there's a, a, there's a saying that was in the Hebrew that, and, and that, uh, an axiom, like a proverb or like a thing that says that something is super hard. It's almost impossible. And you probably know it from the rich young ruler, but it was, it was a, a saying of the day that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than whatever else, right? And so that, and, and then, Jesus said that it's easier for someone to go a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who you know is is a rich person or trusts in riches, trusts in money to get to the kingdom of God. And the, and the, and the disciples like, well, who could be saved? That that's impossible. He said, with God, all things are possible. So listen, what, this calling is going to be like God's pulling you. And my friend uh, Doug Hunt says it's like like God pulling me through the eye of the needle, right? And there there that you're. The way the brain works, right, the 11 million bits of information that we take in every second gets squeezed through the eye of the needle to only 126 bits of information goes to our conscious mind for action, right? So it, this is going to, there's a choke point, and this is what commitment is. You're going to have to go through this choke point, and it seems like it's an impossible ask. It seems like it's an impossible commitment, but with God, it is possible for you to get to your supernaturals. And look, you could look at any person that is operating in their supernaturals. They had to go through, and I'll show you in the scripture, but you could just think and just look at any biography. They had to go through this eye of the needle. They had to get squeezed through, right? They had to be so committed that they would be going through this almost an impossible, you know, through this choke point, you know, uh, you could look at anybody. I mean, Jeff Bezos, he had to quit his great cushy job and risk everything. People told him he was nuts. He moved to like Seattle. He's getting this garage. He has to get, he's asking his parents to, you know, back him. They're like, well, we believe in you. I don't know what you're doing. Right. And the thing, it almost never gets off the ground, which you know it now is Amazon. And he's on his way to being the first trillionaire. Right. Same thing with like Elton John. Same thing with like uh, Michael Jordan. Right? You have to be 100% sold out and committed to your purpose and, and, and enhancing your gifts and operating in that zone of genius. Michael Phelps, there's no t at no time, like he's, he's the greatest Olympic champion of all time, eight gold medals. At no time was he like, you know what, I, you know, I think I want to do gymnastics too. I want to be like a two-sport athlete. I, know, I play golf too. Like Remember when Michael Jordan did that and he went to play baseball? How'd that work out? It never works out. You have to go through this eye of the needle and you're 100% committed all in, hashtag, right? Well, you have to make the choice and few people choose. Very few people will choose to go through that gate. Let's look at Jesus. We were looking at him last week when he was like a, a child, grew up, you know, 12 years old. Remember, he's up there talking um, to all the, the Sanhedrin, the doctors and the lawyers of the day in the temple. He, you know, his parents are mad because he, he skipped out on the ride home. 
and remember, and he grew in wisdom, and we saw that in Proverbs, where he's increasing in wisdom and stature, right? And he's increasing in learning and knowledge and cunning uh, skill in hitting his end target and in keen and edgy plans. And there, remember the proverb, understanding a proverb or understand having a superior mental action and order, a superior mindset. Remember we said in Proverbs 1 verse 10, it said uh, that if sinners entice you, do not consent to them. Do not acquiesce. Do not submit. Do not yield. Do not concur. Right, this is going through right, because there's going to be massive pressure. So, well, that whole time that Jesus was 12 years old till 30, he's you know he's discovering and developing his gifts. Right, he discovered his purpose by 12, and that next 18 years he's developing. He's going through the zone of incompetence to competence to excellence, and now he's excellent. When we get here, he's 30 years old, and now he's going to accept the call. He's going through the eye of the needle where there's no way back. Right, hashtag all in. He's the pig and not the chicken. He's burning the boats. You're going to, ha- if you want to operate in your zone of genius, you have to go through this. And in Matthew 3 and verse 13, it says, And Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him in verse 14, saying, Hey, I need to be baptized of you, and you're coming to me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Allow it to be so for now, please. For this Thus it becometh, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Or if you remember the covenant for rookie series, and righteousness also is equity, but it denotes the covenant. He's going to fulfill the covenant. Uh, he's like, allow this, suffer this to happen, because we, we in here doing this, it's the beginning of fulfilling the covenant. There's no way back after this. And John suffered him. So here he is, he's publicly, he's going all in. There's people there. This is a public thing. There's a lot of people there. John has a crowd. He's baptizing other people. And then here comes Jesus. And and he and John says, No, man, I'm not even worthy to unlatch, you know, your shoelaces. Don't let me do that. You know, and Jesus said, No, we need to do this. Allow it to happen because this is how we're going to fulfill the covenant. I'm going through this entrance, this eye of the right. So here he goes. He has to humble himself. And it's scary because now he's making a public commitment. And then when Jesus was baptized in verse 16, went up straight away out of the water and lo, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending upon him and lighting upon him as a dove. And the low, a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now I want to jump over to Luke 4 because this is exactly what happens. But I want to see Luke's you know, take on this. But And when Jesus was being full of the Holy Ghost, got up from the Jordan, returned from the Jordan, and was led into the spirit of the wilderness. So here he has, listen, so here you have, he's accepting the call. As soon as he gets up, he's led to the wilderness, and he's, he's like sequestered. So Luke 4 and verse 2, being 40 days, six weeks, he's going to go do training and coaching and mentoring by the Holy Spirit himself. And he is tempted of the devil tested. He's scrutinized. He's tested. He's enticed to settle for less. Listen, as soon as this is, this is just how it is. As soon as you accept the call and you make the commitment, you burn the boats and you publicly announce what your target is, your vision, your purpose, and that you're all into fulfilling it. Massive amounts of pressure is going to come on you to quit and to settle for less. Massive amounts. Jesus he gets, he gets Lucifer himself, the master tempter. And all tempting means is it's, it's just uh, an offer to settle for less. A temptation is pressure to settle for less. And he's the master at manipulating and getting people to settle for less. So here he comes. And in those days, Jesus did eat nothing. And when they were ended afterwards, he hungered. And then the devil shows up in verse 3 of Luke 4. 
and says unto him, if you're really the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread because Jesus is hungry. So like Jesus can do it. He has power now, right? Before he, the Holy Spirit came on him, he didn't have power. He couldn't do that. So Satan is trying to get him to settle for less by using his power like he's some kind of like, you know, genie. And Jesus says in verse 4, it's written, he's going to quote the word, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, every word, the reign of the spoken word of God. And then the devil took him up into a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So you got the Egyptian kingdom, right? The Babylonian, the Assyrian, the Persian, the Greek, the Roman, and the Eastern and Western Roman, right? And then you got all everything, the, the U.S. You got Beijing, China, all from all time. And in verse six, the devil said unto him, all this power, all this authority, all this, all this, all these kingdoms for all time, I will give unto you and the glory of them. Remember, glory is wealth and entourage and commerce and military power and superiority. I'll give you all the glory for that which is delivered unto me. Adam gave it to him after he ate the fruit salad, the apple, right? That in the garden of Eden, it was delivered unto Satan. He said, and whosoever I will, I give it to. And Jesus said, no, that's wrong. You can't do it. You don't have the legal authority. No, he did. It, was, it wouldn't be a temptation if it wasn't. It wouldn't be a, an actual manipulation or a pressure to settle for less if it couldn't happen. Like if I tempted you to just go walk through that wall, well, you can't. You're not tempted to do that because you can't walk through the wall. In verse 7, Jesus, and, and verse 7, Satan said, if you'll just worship me, all this shall be yours. And Jesus answered unto him and said, get behind me, Satan. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and only him shalt thou serve. Listen, Jesus didn't say, no, that can't happen. Jesus didn't say, no, uh, you know, that that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. No, he said, get behind me, Satan. Because listen, Jesus could have taken the shortcut. So you can do whatever you want with your gifts and your calling. Your purpose is given to you by God, but your identity and your vision. How you comport yourself, who you are, why you're fulfilling that purpose and where you're taking it is com- what your target is is completely up to you. Listen, if you settle for less or you create your target is less than God's perfect will, it's really going to hurt other people more than it hurts you. It hurts other people, not you. Jesus could have said, Roger that. You know what? Let's skip the cross. Let's skip getting beat. Let's skip going into hell for three days. I'll just go ahead and take the planet back right now. He could have totally then Satan could have given it right back over to him. But here's the thing. All of us would never have had the ability to be born again. We would have all been lost. The entire family from Adam on would be lost. And that's the whole point of creation. God wanted a family. That was the whole point. Jesus, the man, could have taken the shortcut. He would have been fine. But all of us would have never been able to be born again. None of us would have been equal partners with the Godhead. None of us would have been able to have life and life more abundantly. When you settle for less, when you fall for that manipulation and you cave to the pressure to settle for less than God's perfect will for you, your target, other people will hurt. Other people will perish. Other people will suffer. Not you. It's like when somebody, if they die early, Paul said, he said it like this. He said, like, listen, for me to die is gain. It's great for me, right? To live is Christ, but to die is gain. For me to live is good for you. It's suffering. It's working. It's pain. It's pressure. 
Like it's in this body, welcome to planet earth, there's adversity. That came with the curse of the fall. If you're not willing to go through it, and listen, let's talk about this, because Jesus, he had, that we call it the passion of the Christ. The passion of the Christ. He did all that. The reason he didn't settle right here is because he had passion for us. And here's what passion is. It's engaging in an intense desire to the point where it hurts. When you're truly passionate, you are pushed along by your desire to the point where you're willing to endure pain, suffering, adversity, loss, all to complete your mission, all to hit your target. Whatever the object is that you're trying to fulfill, you're going to, the focus of your attention, you're willing to endure pain, suffering, loss. If you're not, this is going through the eye of the needle. If you're not, it's going to be easy for you, but all the other people, like Joseph, he didn't do his, if he didn't fulfill his mission, become the prime minister of Egypt. He said the reason his purpose was to save much covenant people alive. The entire covenant line would have died. And Jesus answered him in verse eight of Luke four, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and only him shalt thou serve. And then Satan brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, hey, look, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down from here for it's written. Now he's going to quote scriptures. Jesus quote scripture. Satan quotes. He knows it. He quotes Psalm 91. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, it is said, you shall not test the Lord your God. I'm not going to put God to the test. I'm not going to go lick a bunch of toilet seats so you know to make sure that I'm not getting, you know, I, I can't get sick and then go lick toilet seats. That's stupid. And then the devil ended all of his temptation, all of his adversity, all of his pressure to settle for less, but he departed for him for a season. And listen, when Satan came back to him was at the end of Jesus' three years of operating in his zone of genius right before the final execution to hit his target, go to the cross, go into hell and sit at the right hand of the Father, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, right? He came back again in the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus was sweating blood and tears. And he had, I mean, the, the pressure was so immense. He split, he's sweating blood and tears. And he says, God, Father, if there's any other way, not my will, but yours, if there's any other way, take this from me. There's always gonna be, again, immense pressure. And then you have to go through that eye of the needle again to get across the finish line. And look, and then the 40 days, the six weeks are done. He makes it through the pressure to settle. He doesn't fall for it. Even the big one, here's the kingdoms, you know, just take them. They're all yours right now. And in verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out of him a fame throughout all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Listen, accepting the call, choosing. Remember, for many, Matthew 22, 14, for many, altogether, defining something that encompasses everyone and everything, the entire public are called, but few, puny, minuscule, actually choose or select. When you choose to accept the call, it requires an all-in, burn the boats, I'm the pig and not the chicken commitment, and followed by a response to the temptation or entitlement to se- or enticement to settle for less. You're not entitled to anything. You've got to work for it to get to zone of genius. You're not entitled to just scoot through. There's, it's going to be like going through the eye of a needle and you're the camel. You're going to lose stuff. It's going to be a tight squeeze. It's going to be painful. It's going to require 
that you endure some pain and suffering. Listen, every person that it does look at all throughout history, anyone that ever made it to their supernaturals and their zone of genius goes through this process. There's a point where it looks like absolute failure. It's going to look like it's completely impossible. There's no way to win. And somehow they squeak through. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be filled with blood, sweat, and tears. You're going to wish that there was some other way, just like if Jesus was wishing there was some other way. If there's another way, Father, right? Not going to happen. You're not entitled to just scoot through. You get these gifts. You get the calling. It's your choice. Do you want to discover them, develop them, and enhance them? Accept the call, go all in, and then you can get to your zone of genius. And it's really great when you get there. I want to look at another example, Elisha. Elisha was uh, a, a prophet in the Old Testament. One of the most powerful prophets ever. Did one of some of the most miracles. And he f- was mentored by Elijah. And if you remember, and we'll read that here in the story. But if, let's go to 1 Kings, and it's uh, chapter 19 and verse 15. And the Lord said unto Elijah, Go, return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you come, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you'll be anointed king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abimeholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapes the sword of uh, Hazkel, Jehu shall slay. And him that escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, and all the knees have not bowed down to bow, false gods, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So Elisha departed hence, Elijah departed hence, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphath, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. So he's running the big John Deere harvester out in the field, in the family ranch, farm and he with the 12th and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle on him he throws his mantle on him and everyone knows man he's the prophet everyone knows who he is and he and the prophet's mantle the coat if you will that the, the it's the symbol of his authority he throws it on Elisha and in verse 20 Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and he said hey let me I, he knows what's coming he's called now here it is here's the choice you're called he said let me I pray thee kiss my father and mother and then I'll follow you let me go home and tell them and Elijah said unto him go back again for what have I to do with thee what have I done to thee go get out of here so here's the you get one shot at this you get the call and then you have to decide are you all in or you're not this is this, this is serious you have to be committed. You can't be involved with the call. The call is I accept it or I don't. And we already know by the numbers, it's very, very few, like 1% that accept the call. The 1% are actually the 1%. What Jesus said, puny. And Elijah turned back from Elijah and took the yoke of oxen, slew them right there, boiled their flesh and the instruments of the oxen. He took the yokes and all the, the gear, burns it gives it to the people, and they did eat. He has a big barbecue feast, and he arose, and he went after Elijah and ministered, served unto him. That's in 906 B.C. So for 10 years, so I'm going to pick up the story in 896 B.C. For 10 years, Elisha is being mentored. Jesus was in the desert, accepts the call, and is mentored by the Holy Ghost personally for six weeks, and he's the Son of God. Elisha goes, and he's 10 years. We'll see. I mean, it really depends on you. 
how good of a student you are and how good of a mentor you have, how long it takes. 10 years. Remember, we talked about this. Like, Be coachable, meekness, humble. You got to get good coaching. You got to have a good mentor. He attaches himself to this great mentor, this great coach, Elijah. And listen, some of you will not even invest in yourself to even hire a coach, let alone take the John Deere and sell it or burn it or whatever. I mean, this guy took a yoke of oxen, fed it to people, got rid of the harvester. It's his family's farm's business, and he like totally trashes it and invests in himself for 10 years. He walks away from it for 10 years. Some of you wouldn't even invest in a coach, let alone you know, give up everything and follow to fulfill your purpose. Eye of the needle, camel through the eye of the needle. It's like an impossible ask. And this is why only so few people actually accept the call. And in 2 Kings 2 and verse 8, 10 years goes by. He's been training and working under Elijah. And Elijah took his mantle. So he's got it back, right? And he wrapped it together and he smote the waters of the Jordan. And the waters were divided this way and that way. And the two went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were going over that Elijah said unto Elijah, ask what I'll do for you before I be taken away from you. Because Elijah's about to get raptured up into heaven. He ain't going to die. That the chariots, uh, the fiery chariot of heaven is going to come down. He's going to get in it and they're going to ascend unto heaven. He's not going to die. He's going straight up to heaven, planet heaven. Ask what I'll do before I'm taken away. And Elijah said, I pray you, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And Elijah said, man, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so unto you. But if you don't see me, it ain't going to happen. It shall not be so. And it came to pass as they went, still went on and talked. Behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and they parted the two asunder. They separated them. And Elijah went up and the whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw Elijah no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into two pieces. And he took up the mantle. He grabs the mantle that fell from Elijah, that fell right in front of him. And he went back and he stood before the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and he smote the waters. And he said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And when he smacked the waters, they parted this way and that way. And Elijah went over and the sons of the prophets were there to view it at Jericho saw. And they said, the spirit of Elijah does rest on Elijah. And he went on to have a supernatural career. Accepting the call. It's all in or nothing. There isn't any uh, halfway. Hey, I want to go kiss my mom and dad. Tell them bye. Elijah's like, Elijah's like, bye. I have nothing to do with you. See you later, man. So what Jesus with the rich young ruler where he told him, you know, he says, listen, in Matthew 19, 21, Jesus says, because the rich young ruler, you know, that whole thing we talked about it before. What do I have to do? Just follow the rhema, blah, blah, blah. And then Jesus said, if you're going to be perfect, remember, be perfect as your father is perfect in heaven. Matthew 5, 48. Luke 6.40, be perfect as the master is perfect. Be fully mature. Hey, Jesus says to the rich young ruler, hey, if you want to be perfect and be mature, here's the big ask. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you have treasure in heaven, come follow me. Because I'm going to mentor you. Could you imagine like being personally mentored? Jesus invites you, come be, I mean, holy smokes. Why would you say no? I mean, I don't care how much it would cost to have Jesus personally mentor me for three years. That's the invitation. But the man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And Jesus ran after him. Oh, wait, come on, come back. Please, please, please come back. 
listen, listen, man, we can negotiate this down. You only have to sell like a quarter, maybe 10%. That's the tithe. Or maybe 25% because that's really super duper holy. That's super generous. Come on, he negotiates. He's not negotiating the price. You cannot negotiate the cost of accepting the call. You're either all in or you're not. This is why nobody does it. But if you do, you get to experience riches, honor, and life in this world. Jesus said you'll get a hundredfold return on houses and families and lands and money in this life plus the one to come. And if you look at anybody that went through this and they're in their, even people not in the covenant, remember good or bad, the calls for good or bad. I'm looking at people that aren't necessarily in the covenant that have gone through this and they went all in and they never looked back. They burned the boats. I mean, I'm looking at Jeff Bezos. I'm looking at Elton John. Uh, you know, you could look at Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, you, all the, pick whoever you want to pick. Michael Jordan, Tom Brady. On and on and on. It's easier to go through the eye of a camel for an eye of a needle than somebody who's got a ton of riches getting. What? Because you're trusting in what you have. If you're trusting that you can just be half in and half out. Then when the disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who can be saved? Jesus said unto them, When with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Who will pull you through the eye? But you got to go in, you got to be all in. Watch this. Let's look at the 12 disciples. Here's just a few people. A few answer the call. This guy, he asked the rich young ruler to come, and he goes away sad. Jesus doesn't chase him. It's over. We never hear about this guy again. In Matthew 4, verse 18, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. He just comes back out of the desert, just had you know been tested and tempted and massive pressure to settle for less and just worship Satan and, get, and shortcut. He saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, and they're casting a net into the sea for their fishers. They're running the family business. And he says unto them, he's walking by, do, 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 do. hey, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they were like, well, we got the business. We got to wrap up. We got to shut this down. We got to at least put the nets away. We got no. It says they straightway left the nets and followed him. That's answering the call. 100% all in. You leave immediately whatever you got and you go. And in verse 21, they're walking still down the shoreline. And for going there from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee with their dad. He's right there. And they're mending their nets. They're fixing it. And these are business partners. They're with the old man, the two sons. They're fixing, the, they're fixing up the nets. And he called them, follow me. And they immediately left the ship and their father and they followed him. They didn't ask. They just dropped it and go. I'm sure the dad's like, hey, you guys coming back? What are you doing? They just went. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Remember, Peter, James, and John, they're the inner, inner circle. They immediately left the ship and followed him. Left their father, followed him. Straightway left their nets and followed him. Rich young ruler, I'm sad. I got too much. I can't leave it. I can't go. Elisha, hey, let me go back and kiss my mom and dad. Man, I got nothing to do with you. Never mind. I'll kill the oxen. We'll burn the barbecue and we're going. Accepting the call requires a seemingly impossible commitment. But to get to your zone of genius, you're going to get squeezed almost to an impossible level. And with man, it might not even feel like it's possible. Yet I know it is because people have done it before. And if one person has done it, Everybody could do it. God's not a respecter of persons. Let's talk about a couple. This is, here's some others that Jesus is on the way. And there's others that he called. 
We know about the rich young ruler and all, but Peter, James, and John, and the other 12, the other eight that followed him. Here's some others. In Luke 9, 57, it came to pass as they went in the way, a certain man said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever I go. Here's a guy who wants to be mentored. Lord, I'll come follow you wherever I go. And Jesus said, yeah, listen, man, foxes have holes, birds in the air have nests, but son of man has nowhere to lay his head. There's no comfort here. It sounds like a good idea, but listen, you have no comfort with me. There's no comfort level. Listen, operating in your zone of genius, if you want to just be competent, that's comfortable. That's what the average mind to do. Life between the 40s. I just want to have security and comfort. You said there's no security uh, over here. There's no comfort over here. You better get comfortable being uncomfortable because this is where it is with me. 100% all in. I call it in corporate the elite warrior. And in verse 59, and he said unto another, walking... This guy says, I'll follow you. Jesus says, listen, there's no comfort or security here, this, right? And the guy just goes away. We never hear about him again. As we're following, walking along, Jesus sees another guy. He said, hey, you follow me. And he said unto the Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. My dad's old. He's in the nursing home. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. Go and preach the kingdom of God. So this guy, he doesn't take the call. The same thing with what Elijah said. I got to go back to my parents. They'll let the dead bury. And, and another one, said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go bid farewell to them which are at my home and my house. And Jesus said, listen to this. So here's another excuse, another excuse, another excuse, another put it off, delay, delay. Someday I'll follow you. I'll get to it sometime. But no, when the call comes, you have one shot at this. One shot. When you, <laughs> Jesus did, had to go get baptized. When it was time, it was time. That was the call. Come over here, get baptized, and we're going. He could have, well, I'll wait till I'm 40. You know, I want to have a wife and kids. You know, I want to pay off my student loans first. No man, Luke 9, 62, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You, you're not fit. You could put, there's no looking back. You only go forward. Focus on the target. Through the eye of the needle, there ain't no going back. Once you go through it, there's no going back. I know you're scared to go through it. Everybody is, including Jesus was. It's always a giant ask to enter into your zone of genius, your supernaturals. It's always a giant. It's a commitment, burn the boat commitment. There's no plan B commitment. Matthew 13, 44. I want to look at these. There's two parables to show you the level of commitment it's going to take for you to accept the call. And listen, most of you absolutely will not. Even in this little group of folks that are hearing this, very, very few of you will ever accept the call. You won't want to go through the eye of the needle. You won't want to go through getting squeezed. You won't want to go through that giant ask of I'll give everything. I'll put it all on the line, hashtag all in, because you're afraid of failure. You're afraid to lose whatever you do have. And again, the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 13, 44, Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in a field. That when a man hath found it, he hides it. And for joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and then he goes and buys the field. This is what it's like when you, wait, listen, this is accepting the call. You found a treasure in a field. Holy smoke. This is like, well, what if you could find the, the, the treasure, what the, the, the blueprint to build Amazon.com? It's right there. The business plan, it's all right there. The treasure, right? The 100000 it would take to 
and you hide it, you bury it in the field, then you go and you spend everything that you have. You pull together every, I mean, you sell it all, the cars, the house, whatever you have. You're out there with the lemonade stand, your clothes on your back, everything that you have, you got rid of it all just to go buy that field. Because you know, in the end, it's going to turn into Amazon.com. But you won't go through the eye of the needle. Selling everything that you have to go buy that, that's the hashtag all in. That's the being the pig. And in verse 45, Matthew 13. And again, Jesus, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like unto a merchant seeking goodly pearls. He's out and he's looking for pearls. He's jeweling hunt. He's hunting jewelry, looking for pearls. He's a, and he found in verse 46, one pearl of great price. He went and sold all that he had and he bought it. One pearl. He said, one pearl. And this was like an amazing pearl. And he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Through the eye of the needle, hashtag all in. Sell everything for this one little pearl. Once you choose and you go all in, Peter gives us a hint of what we have to do now. Once you go through all in, it ain't over. Remember, Jesus went all in and he's six weeks in the desert and then he has to, and and being mentored by the Holy Ghost continues for the next three years. Elisha kills all the oxen and goes with Elijah for the next 10 years. Peter, Andrew, James, and John leave their businesses and their fishing nets immediately and they go with Jesus the next three years. Mentored three years. During this time, Peter, who knows, because he's the guy that left his nets and just walked off, which he's immediately followed and became a fisherman. Jesus, Jesus is like, this is his best friend, his closest mentee, if you will. The one that he coached more than anybody else was Peter. And Peter tells us what we have to do during that time, right, of mentoring, of coaching. And listen, don't get a coach. I don't care, right? I mean, I'm getting, I got my mentors and my coaches. I paid a lot of money. I mean, huge amounts of money. Some of you pay more to get an, a college education than you would to spend with the, the person that could get you to where you're going. Your zone of genius. Fulfill your purpose. Hit your target. So I'm, I'm not against college degrees. I got a PhD. I got a master's of divinity. I got a you know, BA in, in theological studies. I got three of them. Not against them. But I also had to get coaches and mentors. I had to pay for them. Coaches and mentors. Enormous sums of money in most people's mind. To get what it is that Peter's about to give us. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. This is where I start jumping off scripture. Grace and peace. Watch how it all fits together. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. That's our jumping off scripture. Arena, we're exempt from the air agent havoc of war. Multiplied to you through the knowledge of God. Verse three, according to his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and God, and all things that pertain to life and being just like God, according to his divine power. You know what that is? That's your supernaturals. Those are your giftings. He's given gifts unto us that pertain to anything in our life to have it more abundantly and godliness, which is being just like God. Through the knowledge, through the wisdom, through the instruction, through the learning, through the coaching of him that called us to glory and virtue. 
You have the gifts. You discover the gifts. You develop the gifts. You accept the call. And then you get coaching because it all is made manifest through the knowledge of him that called us to glory, through the wisdom, through the instruction, through the learning, through the coaching, through the mentoring. Verse four, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature or equal partners with the Godhead, it says in the Greek, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And lust is the, here's what lust is, the desire to settle for less, to take the easy way out. If you want to escape the corruption, and all corrupt, corruption is just means stuff is decaying. It doesn't work right. It's like as soon as you buy a new car, it, be, it comes off the line, it begins to corrupt. Rust, right? It dings. The rubber gets, you know, old. The seals break eventually. If you want to skip all that so that there's no corruption, stop settling for less. Because that's all lust is, is that the pressure, the temptation, right? The desire to take the shortcut and not go through the eye of the needle. Verse five, and besides this, besides getting coaching, besides getting all wisdom, besides getting that knowledge, besides taking and, and skipping the lust, besides you, so it's not just enough to like bypass settling for less. Once you get there, you have to give all diligence Add to your faith valor, or virtue, it says in the King James, and virtue and valor, knowledge, and knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, and patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity. For if you, if these things, diligence, faith, valor, knowledge, self-discipline, the quality that refuses to give up, being just like God, brotherly kindness, agape, if these things are in you, and they abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to, you're going to have massive amounts of riches, honor, and life. Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Verse nine, but he that lacketh these things is blind. So if you're not diligent, have faith. These are the nine things. Right, they're from the Zoe Life of God series. I'll go over them real quick here in a minute. But if you're lacking the nine things, you're blind, man. You can't see afar off. You have no idea where you're going. You couldn't hit your target. You've even forgotten that you were purged from your old cities. For the, the times that you settled for less, you forgot about that. You remember settling for less. Well, this is just my lot in life. Some people are lucky. I just didn't get my lucky break. Verse 10, wherefore the rather brethren, Giving all diligence, make your calling and selection your choice sure. It says election in the King James, but in the Greek it says selection. They left the S off. Wherefore, rather, give diligence to making your calling and your selection. You chose to accept your calling and now you're on it. Make it sure. Solid foundation on a rock, not sand. For if you do these things, you shall never trip, fail, or stumble. It says never fall in the King James. The Greek is fall, trip, fail, or stumble. This is how you make, this is how you, once you get through the eye of the needle, you get your coach and your mentor, and you do these nine things. 
I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but I do want to mention because these are the things that make our calling and our selection, our choice sure, so that we wouldn't fall, so that we wouldn't fail, so that we wouldn't stumble. That we'd be partakers of the divine nature, equal partners with the Godhead, that all the exceeding great and precious promises would be fruitful in us. We wouldn't be barren. This is, if you're not doing the nine things, once you make the, if you did make the, the decision and you went through the eye of the needle, that's just the beginning. Once you get through the eye of the needle, you have to continuously do these nine things in order to hit your target, in order to fulfill your purpose, in order to get to your zone of genius and operate in that supernatural flow where you're doing things that excel far beyond anybody else. Giving all diligence. Diligence means that you're attentive and persistent in doing a thing. Speed and earnestness. That's, you're not lackadaisical and lollygagging. Speed and earnestness. I'm diligent about working out. I don't like, oh, I'm not going to put my work out. I get it. I have the schedule and I'm on it. Speed and earnestness. I'm steadily applied. I'm active. I'm unremitting. I'm constancy of effort. I'm untiring. I'm meticulous. I attention to details. This is diligence. The opposite of that is like you're kind of lazy, slothful, you're careless, carelessness, lethargic, you're indifferent, apathetic. I want to say, you know, you, you don't give anything, any A, B, C, Ds, Es, or Fs. That's the opposite of diligence. Faith. Absolute certainty in the trustworthiness of another should be God. But really, we all trust God. We all believe God when he said he could do whatever he wants. But we don't believe what he says about us. When he said we're an equal partner of the God. When he says, go through the eye of the needle. Give up everything you have and follow me. I'll mentor you. We, we're like, we accept the call. We, we don't believe. We absolutely do not believe. And until you do, and then once you get through the needle, you have to continually believe. Be absolutely certain. Because if you don't, you won't have confidence. Because that's the opposite, is lacking confidence. You're doubtful, you're distrusting, you're skeptic, you're suspicious, you're uncertain. You operate in fear. Remember, fear and scarcity, love and abundance. Fear and scarcity, love and abundance. If you trusted God, you went through the eye of the needle, then he didn't bring you this far to drop you. You made the big ask. You did it. You're all in. Hashtag all in. Now he's all in. Listen, the covenant is reciprocal. If you're 100% all in with God, he's 100% all in with you. He can't do more than you do. If you're only 10% in with God, he can only be 10% in with you. That's all in Luke 6. Probably should look at it. So you could see with your own eyes that the covenant is reciprocal. Remember, Luke 6, 40 is where he says the master, right? It's that, uh, let's just read it. The disciple is not above the master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Now, let's just skip up a couple verses. Verse 36. Be ye therefore merciful as your father is also merciful. Reciprocal. You're merciful the same way your father's merciful. Judge not, so you will not be judged. Reciprocal. The level that you don't judge is the level that you won't be judged. The level of mercy that you show is the level of mercy that will be shown to you. By God. Condemn not, and you won't be condemned. 
Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Listen, the level that you forgive somebody would be the level God can forgive you, can forgive you. Then it says in verse 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Give and it shall be, forgive and it'll be forgiven. Judge not, you won't be judged. Give and it'll be, it's reciprocal. The level of right faith that you have, the level of all-in commitment that you have is the same level that God can have in you. That's why you're operating in fear. Because you're not 100%. Remember, Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says, you will keep him in shalom, shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Spiritual health, physical health, mental health, emotional health, social health, financial health and safety whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Absolute trust, worthiness in God. You're 100% certain he's going to do what he said he'll do. (laughs) Most of you, it's not going to happen. Listen, I get it. I was scared too. There's been plenty of times where I was like, oh man, but you know what? I'm ruined. I went through the eye of the needle. Virtue, which is on the Greek valor of these nine things. Diligence, faith, now virtue, valor. It's courageousness. It's boldness. Brave, fearless, especially in battle. The opposite is fearful, timid, faint-hearted, shrinking, drawing back, shy, skittish, retreating, and subdued. Wrong. You'll never hit your target unless you're bold. That means you've got to boldly go in the mirror. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open to you. You've got to have boldness to go in there and ask for whatever you need to ask for in negotiations, in your business, in whatever you're... Listen, Elton John got, you know, he had to be boldly go in with his music. He was bold. That's why he was wearing all the crazy clothes because he didn't really believe in his talent, but he was bold. He could, he could overcome what he thought in his mind was a lack of talent with boldness, which completely was wrong because he has super amounts of talent. Knowledge. The Greek word is science. It's knowledge, especially that that's gained through observation, identification, description, investigation, experience, and explanation. The opposite is ignorance, unawareness, incomprehension, You just don't know. You didn't check it out. You didn't verify. This is a huge one. Goes right back to coaching and mentoring. Temperance, self-control, self-discipline. The opposite is carelessness, inattentive, easily distracted. Remember, we're talking about your focus. You have to be disciplined in your focus. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind, a disciplined mind that's not easily distracted. We're not half-hearted. We're not lukewarm. Listen, once you get through the eye of the needle, and I'll tell you this, well, I look at, you know, people that they've done this, you never have to, you never have to tell them to do their work. You never have to tell them to like keep their focus. You never have to tell that nag them. Hey, did you do your stuff? Did you do your stuff? Did you do that thing? Did you get that project done? They do it. Patience, the quality that refuses to give up. You're unmovable, you're established, you're rooted, you're grounded, you're settled. The opposite is you vacillate, you waver, you're unstable. You're easily unsettled and unnerved. You're insecure, you're confused, you're bewildered, you're flustered. (laughs) Once you go through the eye of the needle, this isn't a problem for you anymore. You could stay on, you you won't give up. Most of you will quit before you go through the eye of the needle. Once you do, You have another chance to quit at the end. Remember Jesus? He had that last chance in the Garden of Gethsemane to quit one more time. Right before 
he fulfilled his purpose and hit his target. Remember, his target was looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, despising the shame, looking to the joy, sitting at the right hand of the Father. That was his target, sit at the right hand of the Father. He still had to go through the cross. He had to get beaten. He went into hell for three days. Then he got raised from the dead. He had one more chance, sweating blood and tears. Father, if there's any, not my will, but yours, is there any other way to take this cup from me? Even after you get through the eye of the needle, there's still going to be another spot where you could quit and settle for. There's going to be massive amounts of pressure for you to always settle. Right before, it's always darkest right before the dawn. Then godliness, acting just like God. The opposite is worldliness, acting like the world. The world says to settle. The world says to do the logical thing. And listen, I love logic and I love reason. But I, here's what, that's what I teach in corporate. We drive with emotion. Emotion is my engine. It's my driver. It's why I would do the hard thing. I steer with logic. If you try to steer with logic, that's what the world does. The average-minded tries, tries to drive with logic and not steer with logic. I'm saying it backwards. The average-minded drive with logic and try to steer with emotion. That's what they do. They make emotional decisions, and they try to go forward with logic. Well, you know, that, that won't work out. The odds of you making it, it's, it's backwards. It's not logical to sell everything. It's not logical to walk away from your business. It's not logical to like kill the 12 oxen and, you know, and trash the family business. It's not logical. You have to launch when you accept your call. It's not going to be a logical decision. Emotion is what drives you. It's your rocket fuel. You steer with logic. This is how you act like God. The world does it opposite. The world tries to drive with logic and steer with emotion. And, it, and stuff keeps blowing up on them. And they always settle for less. That's what said. We all have sinned. All have settled for less and come short of the glory of God. Glory. There's 15 components of glory. All have sinned. All have settled for less and come short of the glory. The wealth, the entourage, the commerce, the power, the wisdom, the promotion, superiority, dignity, Authority, nobility, valor, splendor, majesty, magnificence, privileges and advantages. It's the Hebrew word kabod. All have said, this is how the world acts. You will settle for less because logically you can't get through the eye of a needle. A camel definitely can't get through the eye of a needle. Now, logically, that's impossible. And God said, Jesus said, yep, with man, it's totally impossible. Acting like the world, totally impossible. With God, all things are possible. He'll pull you through the needle, through the eye. He'll thread it with you. That's what God threads the needle. He's in the business of doing the impossible. But remember, it's with God. It's two people, God plus you. It's not God is in everything that God does. He can do the impossible. It says with God. So it's you plus God. With man, impossible. But you plus God, you're going to go right through that eye of the needle. On the other side, you'll be operating in your zone of genius, in your supernaturals, an equal partner with the Godhead. Operating in all these exceeding great and precious promises, you escape all the destruction, all the corruption, all the rust, all the decay of the world's system. It won't even, you're not even tempted by it anymore. Acting just like God. Add to godliness, brotherly kindness. 
Man, have a warm affection for your brothers and sisters, fraternal affection, fondness, tenderness. The opposite is cold and uncaring, distant and withdrawn, unfeeling, detached. If you're my brother or my sister and you're in the fight with me and you're helping, remember what I said this, if you're, if you're enticing me to sin, <laughs> get away from me. But those of you that would come alongside of me shoulder to shoulder to be fitly joined with me, the ones that it says in Hebrews that love and provoke me to good works, to love and provoke to good works, then absolutely I'm going to display warmth and affection for you. Thank you. And then add to that agape, the God kind of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul spells it out. Here's the list. It endures bravely. It's useful and kind. It's not in competition with anyone. It behaves properly. It's not easily stirred up. It doesn't take inventory of evil. Shields from anything with threatens. Has faith in all and any circumstances. Has confidence in all and any circumstances. Refuses to give up in all or any circumstances. The opposite is that you buckle with cowardice. You draw back. You're competing with others. You act improperly and you're stirred up easily. You're emotional in your responses. You're taking inventory of evil, adversity, affliction, calamity, great grief, worry, harm, heaviness, sorrow, trouble, everything that's wrong. You're taking inventory of all that. That's the opposite of walking in love, the agape, God kind of love. Allows others to be threatened, is fearful and timid and cuts and runs. If you do these nine things, if these verse 8 of 2 Peter 1, for if these nine things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind, can't see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from old sins. Therefore, the rather, wherefore, the rather, wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and selection your choice when you choose to be sure. For if you do these things, these nine things, Diligence, faith, valor, knowledge, self-discipline, quality that refuses to give up, doing it God's way. Brotherly kindness, the God kind of love. If you do these things, you shall never fall. You'll never trip. You'll never fail. You'll never stumble. This is how you enhance your gift. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Yes, you discover the gifts first. They're the road sign towards your purpose. You develop your gifts. You go from the zone of incompetence to the zone of competence to the zone of excellence. Then when the call happens, you have to answer the call. You either accept the call or you make excuses and you go away sad and we never hear from you again. And you enter into the oblivion of the average. Jesus said you're either hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out. If you're in the middle. Once you accept the call, you go through the eye of the needle. You're like the cabal getting pulled through. God pulls you through. Don't worry. 
I know it seems impossible, but with God, it's possible. You're going to get squeezed. You're going to get squeezed. Once you get through the other side, then you can begin enhancing your gifts through the nine things. And then you'll never fail. You'll never trip. You'll never stumble. You'll never fall. The exceeding great and precious promises will all be made manifest. That's when they're all yes and amen. That's when you get to experience, I, uh, beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I wish it. I do. I wish it for everybody. The fact is, puny amounts of you, very few of you, like 1% of you will actually experience it. Discover, develop, answer the call and enhance your gifts. Get to your supernaturals, your zone of genius. Get in that flow. Once you get there, now you can take it where you want. And I'll say this, you'll never go through it if the joy, right? You have to have your target. Jesus, it, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith in Hebrews 12. Looking to the joy set before him, he despised the shame. Put up with the contradiction of sinners, people begging him to settle for less. If you don't have a target, if you don't have a vision, if you don't have an emerald city, if you don't know where you're going, you'll never ever go through the eye of the needle because it, you won't have convinced yourself that it's worth it. The return on investment is worth it. You'd be like, I don't know what I'm doing or why, so you're not going to do it. And that's where the passion comes. The reason that you are willing and you're passionate about something to the point where you would endure pain, to where you would suffer loss, to hit your target is you have to have one and it has to be big enough that the return, this is like, it's your why. Why are we, what is it? Where are you going and why? Like, you're not going to, if you can't see, I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus couldn't see he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Why is he going to the cross? If he doesn't see that he's getting all of us, the family back together, gathered together, remember the Father's purpose gathered together. If he doesn't see the vision that we saw in Revelation 21, where like the, the city of streets of gold and it's 1500 by 1500 miles and there's pearl gates on each side and all. If you don't have that vision and looking at it every day, you will get your focus on the other things and you will not go through the eye of the needle. And then you will not continue in those nine things. Next week, I'm going to start on the vision creating the vision. And I'll say this, if it, if it, it's got to be so big that it's worth it for you to go through the eye of the needle. Don't give me some cheesy little vision that it's not, because you'll never go through the eye of the needle. It's got to be so big that it seems impossible. If it doesn't seem impossible, it's not a godly vision. Let me just leave you with that. If it doesn't seem impossible, like people are not going, you're crazy. That'll never work. I don't see, if you don't get the pushback, if you don't have sinners enticing you saying that that's not logical, then your vision is not big enough for you to go through the eye of the needle. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts. I thank you for your goodness, Father. I thank you for your mercy and your tender love and care. Holy Spirit, come alongside us. Help us to have this grand vision, to have the passion the intensity, the fervency and spirit in order to go through that eye of the needle, to take our camel selves through the eye of the needle with you. Pull us through it because by ourselves, it's impossible. But with you, 
Father, it is possible, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.